If you ever see me running, I've told you this before, if you ever see me running, then you know that you should be running as well. You, you need to be running because that means there is something chasing me. Something big and mean is chasing us. Something very dangerous is chasing us, and we need to be running. Uh, something like a, perhaps a, uh, uh, a dinosaur uh, or maybe a, uh, a large uh, mutant crocodile mixed with a, uh, a moth, maybe. Uh, perhaps Godzilla. Godzilla might be chasing us, and you better run just to be... In fact, we need to find a car to drive away as fast as we possibly can. Uh, under the speed limit, of course, we're going to obey the law as we flee Godzilla. Um, but uh, I love the marathon. I, I love watching the, the, what happens at the marathon. Now, in a marathon at the Olympics, the person running the marathon does not merely run around the, uh, the circle or the, the track thousands of times until they reach 26.2 miles. Rather, they run around the city of the host city. They run around the streets of the host city until they're just about done. And then when they're just about finished, they end up at the stadium. And, and inside the stadium are tens of thousands of people cheering and, and excited. Right here, this is from the winner of the 2008 uh, Olympic Games marathon from Beijing. Uh, and he, uh, when he entered the stadium... Okay, people were excited and they were cheering. They could see him uh, before he ever entered the stadium. They could see him on the big screens. Right. And he's running into the stadium. This is how people run, I guess. But uh, so he's running into the stadium and the crowd is cheering and they're and they're excited. There's a buzz in the stadium as he's getting ready to enter in. And all of a sudden he makes that appearance and he enters into the tunnel and the place goes wild. They go crazy. They're screaming and they're cheering as loud as they can. They're encouraging him. They're holding up banners and and. And, and things that people do at the Olympics. And they're just screaming and shouting and cheering as he makes his final laps. And then he finally crosses the finish line. What a cool feeling that would be, right? To have, you know, like I get up to preach on a Sunday morning, you know, and I, I come up here and everyone's like, ah, Sean's going to preach. Woohoo! Sean's going to bring the word. Woo! Ah, ah. That'd be awesome. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be on vacation next week. And then in two weeks, I'm going to be back. And I expect you to cheer for me when I get up on... And you're laughing like that would never happen. I know, it would never happen. But anyway, um, so uh, could you imagine like showing up at work tomorrow? Like you show up at work and everybody starts cheering when you walk in. And rather than cheering when you walk out. But when you walk in, everyone's like, woohoo, he's here. She came to work today. She didn't call off. Woohoo, yeah. You know, and they're high-fiving you. And they're just, they're holding up banners, like way to do your job. You know, and just how awesome that would be. The, the kind of encouragement that you would receive from people as, as you came to work. I mean, something, you know, mundane. Uh, but, but yet they're, they're cheering for you. They're excited that you're there. How cool would that be to go into work and people are excited to see you? Or maybe when you got home from work and like your family was there and they were excited to see you. Your family was cheering for you and screaming for you when, when you came in. Uh, you, you came in, uh, your, your wife was there, your husband was there and it's like, yeah, you're home. I can't, oh, I've been waiting for you to get home. And they're cheering and they're screaming and they're excited. Yeah, you're home. Holding up banners like, way to come home. You know, there's, there's a passage of scripture. It talks about a race. It's a race of faith. It is a race that we're running. It is a journey of faith that we're on. And there's this passage of scripture that talks about a great cloud of witnesses. And I have this picture in my mind that I want to share with you this morning for just a little bit. We're in Hebrews chapter 12. We've been studying the book of Hebrews here on Sunday mornings. And we've been talking about how Jesus is greater 
that Jesus is greater than the figures of the Old Testament. He's greater than the rules and regulations of the Old Testament. He is greater than the covenant of the Old Testament. The covenant that he has instituted in his blood is greater than, than, than the covenant of the Old Testament. We've talked about how Jesus is superior, how he is better, how he is greater, how he gives us greater hope, how he gives us greater promises. And today we're going to talk about how Jesus is our Savior. And we're going to talk about God. And I know that sounds novel, right? It's like, Sean, you're a preacher. This is church. This is what we talk about. We talk about God. And, and, but we're going to talk about God today. And we're going to talk about how awesome God is. And we're going to talk about how Jesus is our Savior, how he gave his life for us, how he suffered and died for our sins so that we could be saved. That if we'll put our faith and trust in Jesus by believing in him, repenting from our sins, confessing our faith and being baptized. We got a baptism today, by the way. Just something to look forward to. Woohoo! That's right. Very excited about that. Um, but if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he will save you from your sins. He will wash you clean. He will give you hope. And there is a great cloud of witnesses that is cheering us on. I believe this. And, and we're going to see that here in Hebrews chapter 12. If you brought your Bible, turn to Hebrews 12. If you didn't bring your Bible, you can reach down and, and in a chair in front of you. There'll be a, a Bible in the rack in front of you. And you can find it on page 852 if you're not familiar with the New Testament. Page 852 is where you'll find Hebrews 12 in the Bible in front of you. And we're going to talk about how Jesus is our Savior. For about the next 15 minutes, we're going to read through this passage and talk about what it means. And we're just going to look at this passage today and then talk about what it means for our lives. So turn to Hebrews 12. If you're there, we're going to start reading in verses 1 through 3. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now, what that means is that he is the author and perfecter means he is the initiator and the perfecter. He is the beginning of our faith. He is the end of our faith. He completes our faith. So he initiates it and he completes it. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I was telling you about this great cloud of witnesses, and I have this image of my mind of heaven. And it's like this giant, it's like this giant stadium. It's like the giant uh, Olympic stadium, it, it, only it's bigger. It's, it's, it's really big. It's huge. And, and in this stadium are literally just, just billions of followers of Jesus and billions of God's people who have gone on before us. And this stadium is just filled with them. And they're, all, they're waiting for one thing. They're waiting for you. They're waiting for me. They're waiting for all of us. And when we enter into heaven, I have this image of my mind. Like that marathon runner entering the stadium, I have this image of my mind. Of this great cloud of witnesses of Abraham and, and Isaac and, and Jacob and Joseph and, and Moses and David and Solomon. And, 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 and I see the apostles and I see the, the, the believers of, of centuries of, of believers all gathered together cheering and shouting and angels and screaming and banners. And, and, and they're just so excited to see us that when you enter into heaven, when you take your last breath on earth and you take your first breath in heaven, that the first image you'll see, that you'll hear this cheering and this screaming and this shouting as you enter into heaven. And, and there waiting for you is Jesus. 
the author and perfecter of your faith. And he will be standing there with arms wide open saying, welcome home. It reminds me of the old show, Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Remember that? Remember that show? Extreme Makeover Home Edition. And, and they have the bus in front of the house, right? You know, and the family's behind the bus. They pull up in the limo and they get out and they're behind the bus. They can't see the house. And everybody, there's this big crowd of people. And what are they shouting? They're, they're a little bit louder on the show. You know, they're a little more excited. But it's neither here nor there. But they're shouting, move that bus, move that bus. And then the bus moves and the people fall down and they're like, oh, I can't believe the house. And, you know, and they're so excited to see the house. And, and then and there's Ty, ADHD Ty. He says, welcome home, Smith family. Welcome home. And I see, I see heaven. And I see Jesus standing there saying, welcome home. And as you cross that finish line, as you enter into his presence, as you fall into his arms, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Welcome home. How awesome is that? And the crowd is going wild. This, this great cloud of witnesses is cheering at the top of their lungs. He made it. She's here. They're home. That can be yours. I know it's mine. Not because of any great thing I have done. Not because I preach sermons every Sunday. Not because I come to church every week. Not because I, I work for Jesus. No, it's mine because of what Jesus did for me. And it can be yours because of what Jesus did for you. He suffered and he died on the cross for your sins and my sins, for the mistakes we've made, for the sins we've committed, for the lies we've told, the ways, the things that we've done. He died for it all so that we could go home, so that we could have hope, so that we could spend eternity with him. That's why he died, to make that possible for us. Let's keep reading, starting in verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten that your word, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and who we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to, our, to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. How many of you, when you were a kid, you heard these words? Just wait till your father gets home. Oh, you heard those words. I heard those words. Oh, and, and terror, right? Just abject terror and fear in your heart. <laughs> What's going to happen when dad gets home? What's going to happen to me? Am I going to live? Am I going to see tomorrow? What's going to happen when dad gets home? Right? There's a difference between discipline and punishment. 
The Bible says that God disciplines those he loves. And he loves us and he treats us as his children. He treats us as sons and daughters. And that's why this passage is so important. That through the hardships, trials, and adversities of life, when we are going through the difficulties of life, through the, tr- through the struggles and the tests and the trials, it can be very hard to remember that God loves us. And that these trials and that these difficulties and these adversities are actually for our benefit. And you may be thinking, what could possibly be the benefit of the trial I am facing right now? There's a couple of benefits. One, it increases your faith. It teaches you to rely on God more, to lean on Him more, to lean into Him more. It causes you to trust Him more. It causes your faith to grow. It makes you holy. It it, it changes you. It is discipline that is for the purpose of education and correction. There's a difference between punishment and, and discipline. Neither is pleasant. But discipline is for our benefit. Discipline is for our good. Discipline through trials and adversities and difficulties is for our benefit. It helps us grow in faith. It helps us lean on God more. And it changes us and it corrects our sinful behavior. Punishment, on the other hand, is uh, done out of anger and wrath. And I do not believe that God punishes us. I believe that he disciplines us for the purpose of correcting us. I believe he disciplines us for the purpose of making us holy, for changing us, and transforming our lives. But I believe that the punishment that God has, that the punishment that God doled out was already done. That he, in in wrath, poured out his wrath and poured out his punishment on Jesus on the cross. That it was on Jesus that he poured out all of his wrath. It was on Jesus that he poured out all of his punishment. He, Jesus, took our punishment. The punishment that we deserve, the Bible says that God does not treat us as our sins deserve. He treated Jesus as our sins deserve. And he poured out all of that punishment, all of that wrath, all of that anger, he poured it out on Jesus Christ, not on you and me. Now he will discipline us through trials, adversity, hardship, difficulties, tests, struggles. God will discipline us. Because he wants what's best for us. And it may be hard to remember, it may be hard to realize that discipline really is for our good. That discipline really is for our best. But in fact, it is. It helps us grow in faith. And it makes us holy like God is holy. It helps us to become more like Jesus. Which is the goal of life. It's to be more like Christ. To be more loving. To be more kind. To, be, uh, to, to uh, love other people. To even love your enemies. Is to be like Jesus. And so when God disciplines, he is reminding us that he loves us. If you have kids, you, you, you understand this. You understand that when you have to discipline your child, it hurts. How many of you ever heard, this is going to hurt me more than hurt you? You thought, there's no way. There is no way, because this is going to hurt pretty good. I remember a comedian once saying, he said, uh, he said, my son, my dad was crazy. My dad told me, son, go get me something to beat you with. I went and grabbed him a balloon. Here, Dad, do your worst. Right? Smart kid. (laughs) Probably got twice the whooping for it, though. Um, God disciplines us as his children because he loves us as his children. It's because of his great love for us that he disciplines us. Whether you are a son or a daughter, he loves you as his son or daughter. And he will do whatever it takes to help you become more like Jesus. Let's keep going. 
starting verse 12 through 17. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. And the key here is that we need to be repenting of our sins. We need to be repenting of our sinfulness. Notice what he says, "'Live at peace with all men.'" Be holy, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And then he gives two examples of sinfulness. He talks about sexual immorality, and he talks about godlessness, like Esau. And I want to touch on these for just a second. When it comes to sexual immorality, I think that we live in a world that is very, very numb to sexual immorality. We live in a world that is very numb to uh, sexual uh, sin, that we live in a sexually satis- uh, saturated world. That everywhere we look, uh, I mean, it's, it's goofy. Uh, just the, the ways that people will use sex to sell anything. And we are so saturated in sexuality in our world it, that we, we are numb to sexual immorality. And sexual immorality, a, a very basic, easy definition of sexual immorality is any kind of sexual behavior outside of a monogamous, heterosexual, married relationship. That's the way God designed it. That's the way God defined it. So anything, any kind of sexual behavior outside of a monogamous, heterosexual, married relationship is sinful. That includes uh, premarital sex. That includes uh, extramarital affairs. It includes internet pornographic addictions. Uh, It includes homosexual behavior. It's, It's behavior that is sinful. It is behavior that is sexually immoral. That's God's definition of sexual immorality. And so any kind of... Sexual behavior outside of a heterosexual, married, monogamous relationship is sinful. doesn't mean that it can't be forgiven, but it means that a lifestyle that is unrepentant, and this goes not just for sexual immorality, but any kind of unrepentant, sinful lifestyle will not be forgiven. And you think about what Esau did. We saw about Esau when he sold his birthright. He says Esau uh, sold his birthright, uh, and he was unable to repent of it. He was sad that he did it, but he didn't repent. And so the, the qualification for forgiveness is repentance. And that goes for sexual immorality, that goes for pride, that goes for anger, uh, that goes for uh, gossip. Whatever your sin is, whatever your struggle is, whatever your addiction is, if you're not willing to repent of it, God won't forgive it. Repentance is vital for forgiveness. Let's keep going. Verse 18 through 24. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrible that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. 
that he's comparing the Old Testament Mount Sinai where the people gathered and they heard the voice of God and they saw the presence of God on this mountain and they were terrified because of it. And he's comparing that to the mountain we come to, which is Mount Zion, Jerusalem, the new heavenly Jerusalem, the city that God has prepared for us. And the two are completely different. The only thing they have in common is that God is there. But one is a site of terror. The other is a site of joy. That when we come into heaven, when Jesus greets us at heaven, there will be great joy. Because we will be home. This is the place that God has prepared for those who love him. The Bible says that no eye has seen, no mind has comprehended what God has prepared for those who love him. You can't even fathom how great it's going to be. You know, you may think, well, heaven's going to be great. No, you can't even imagine how great heaven is going to be. The Bible says you can't even conceive of how great heaven is going to be. And I can conceive of some pretty great things. I can. Chocolate River can see it going to be even better than that two chocolate rivers (laughs) this place that god has prepared for us you don't want to miss it you don't want to miss it so the whole purpose of the book of hebrews is to remain faithful to jesus we've said that over and over again throughout the series be faithful to jesus stay faithful to jesus no matter what happens no matter what kind of persecution may come no matter how tempted you may be to give up on your faith no matter how rough the trial or the test or the adverse adversity or the difficulty no matter the challenge that may come do not do not give up on your faith do not give up on jesus because he didn't give up on you when he was on the cross and they were driving nails through his hands and his feet, when they stuck a spear in his side, when they, uh, when they put the crown of thorns on his head, when they flogged him and beat him, he did not give up on you. And he says to us, the author of Hebrews says to us, do not give up on him. Do not give up on him. Keep walking. Keep running. Stay faithful. Keep persevering. Do not give up because you don't want to miss this. Let's finish the chapter. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. I read these words, this our God is a consuming fire, and I think about, uh, uh, I think about a forest fire, like the fires that they're having out west. And I think about the the fires that are, they just consume everything in their path. Anything that they come up against, they just consume it. They completely destroy it. And yet here in Hebrews, it says our God, our God is a consuming fire. That he is not, he's not your buddy. He's not your teddy bear that you curl up to at night. Our God is a consuming what? A consuming what? Our God is a consuming fire fire. He is not to be trifled with. He is not to be taken for granted. He is not to be played with. Uh, He is more than just your bunny. He is more than just your friend. He is your God. He is your God. He is your judge. He is a consuming fire. He is awesome. 
He is mighty. He is powerful. He created the world. He created everything in it. He created the universe just by speaking it into being. He is God. And He is worthy of reverence. He is worthy of respect. He is worthy of awe. He is worthy of worship. Now when you come here on a Sunday morning, He's not concerned with what you're wearing. He's not concerned with how your hair looks. He's not concerned with what, how your makeup looks, guys. He's not concerned with your shoes. Sorry. He's concerned about your heart. That is his primary concern, is your heart. What did you bring in your heart today? Did you come ready to worship the God of the universe in your heart? Did you come ready to praise your creator in your heart? Did you come with the understanding, with the realization that your God is a consuming fire? Because that's what we do. That he allows us into his presence. That he has cleansed us and made us holy. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, we cannot enter into his presence. Without holiness, we cannot come and worship him. He has cleansed us and made us holy and allows us into his presence. He allows us to be filled with the Holy Spirit to come into his presence and worship and praise him. This is not just something you check off on your list. I I did my Sunday thing. I went to church. I feel good about myself. That's not what this is about. Our God is a consuming fire. He is not to be toyed with. He is God. And he is worthy of awesome worship, of total surrender, of complete devotion and submission to his will. He is your God. Now the good news is, he is also your father. God is our father who loves and a fire who consumes. This is an important balance that we need to understand. Because God is your father and he loves you. He loves you so much that he will discipline you so that you will not miss out on the hope of heaven. He will change you and transform your life. He will make you like his son Jesus because he loves you. He would rather send his son to die on the cross than to live forever without you. So he makes it possible to have salvation through his son Jesus. But he is also a fire who consumes and do not, be, do not be confused. And do not be misled. You may think to yourself, well, me and God, we got an understanding. You know, we got this thing. We're, we're cool. Our God is a consuming fire. One does not say, I am cool with God. One does not say, I have an understanding with God. We got an understanding. He lets me do my thing. I let him do his thing. His thing is a consuming fire. You do not have an understanding with God. You have a misunderstanding about God. If you think that you have an understanding with God that he's just going to let you slide and he's just going to let you do your thing, then you have a misunderstanding about God because our God is a consuming fire. Now, I know I usually don't preach like this. Some of you may be thinking, where's the nice shot? I preach like this today because this is what the word says. Is what the Bible says. The Bible says our God is a consuming fire. Do not toy with him. Do not trifle with him. Do not take him for granted, but rather have a worshipful respect 
and reverence for him because he is a consuming fire. And one day, one day you will see him face to face. You will enter through the gates of heaven and that great cloud of witnesses will be there to greet you and to welcome you and to scream and to cheer and to shout as you enter into heaven and Jesus will be there waiting for you so you will see him face to face and fall in his arms like the end of a marathon and he will welcome you home and I hear his voice I hear his voice from heaven. I hear the voices of the angels. I hear the voices of that great cloud of witnesses and they're all saying the same thing. Keep going. Keep running. Don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. Never give up. Never stop running. You don't want to miss this. So never give up. And never lose hope. And let's keep running this race together. Father God, I thank you that we have your word that teaches us about you and who you are and what you do and what you're like. The word says that you are consuming fire. May we take these words to heart today, these words of, of hope, yet these words of, of encouragement and these words of challenge. Help us to worship you in our hearts and with our lives to serve you and to love you more each day. Lord God, you are a consuming fire and this fills our hearts with terror, but you are a father who loves us as well and that fills our hearts with joy. May we have this healthy balance in our life of understanding that you are our father who loves yet a fire who consumes. Help us to be faithful to Jesus this week as we move about through our week Help us to be faithful to Jesus in the things that we say and think and do, that we might bring glory to you. Thank you that he took our punishment. Thank you that he is our Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.